reading is taken from Isaiah, chapter 42, starting to read at verse 1 to verse 9. And it can be found on page 728 in the Church Bible. That's Isaiah 42, reading verses 1 to 9. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. This is what God the Lord says, the creator of the heavens who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place, and new things I declare. Before you they spring into being. I announce them to you. Thanks be to God for this reading. The New Testament reading comes from Matthew chapter 3, starting at verse 13, on page 967. Matthew chapter 3, starting at verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized from, by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This is the word of God. Reverend Tim will come and preach to us. Father, we ask that you would speak to us afresh in these words. Teach us what we need to know. Inspire us that we may do what you need us to do. For Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. So the beginning of Jesus' ministry really is, uh, happens at the baptism. It's the, it's the moment where he 
is uh, launched out onto the public stage. And all the things that we've just read about in Isaiah uh, 42 begin to be fulfilled as Jesus works out his ministry. So this baptism has, is a, it's a moment. It's a moment in history. It's a moment in the life of Jesus. A moment in which all things, in one sense, are vested. And the power to do those things that we read about in Isaiah 42 uh, uh, is given to him. It comes to him. It's a place of power um, that, is, uh, that is necessary. It's a Duracell battery and a motor of Jesus' ministry. That's what I wrote down here. Jesus, you see, he's done nothing up to this point. But this is the point of the world-changing life-changing, history-changing ministry of Jesus. And the thing is that when, when we were baptised, we were baptised into him. Into him. Which means that everything that he has done and achieved and won for us is ours. Is our inheritance and ours to live in. Now, I'm not worried about the detail of it. I don't worry worried about whether you were nine days old, nine months old, nine or 90 years old. I don't care whether you were drowned or drenched or dunked in the Jordan, whether you were immersed in a swimming pool, poured, sprinkled or spat at when you were baptised. It doesn't matter. Those are irrelevant things. The Bible's not interested in that kind. It's just about... Um, It's just about church order. But what the Bible does say is that there is one baptism into one Lord. The point is that we're baptised into everything that Jesus has and does. These are ours to live in now. And it's a truth a truth that we inherit everything that he's achieved and we live it out in our Christian life day by day. So the power that's there for Jesus to live these things out through his ministry is also the power that's there through our baptism into him that we might live it out day by day. So it's a triple A power pack that Jesus received, a triple A for us too. So here are the important things. The first A is about association. Uh, There's risen in our day, hasn't there, the phenomenon of uh, the populist movement. The people who have turned their backs on the establishment and they voted for what? Voted for a popular slogan, they voted for a kind of idea, but nobody really knows what it means, so Brexit means Brexit. What a profound statement for our day. Brexit means Brexit, and nobody knows what Brexit really does. That's, that's, that's really what Trumpism and Brexit is all about. It's captured a populist feeling without having a substance. And something, something like that populist movement was beginning to happen when John came in baptising in the Jordan. So we just have to go back there to verse 5 for a moment uh, where there is uh, the statement that uh, people went out to him from Jerusalem 
and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. They went out to him from the city, from the established place where the temple was, out into the wilderness, uh, to the Jordan. Other translations have it. All of Jerusalem and Judea went out to him. Uh, Another one says they flocked to him from Jerusalem. It was a, a national event, a new happening. And the thing about it was, that was so significant and so upsetting for the Jewish rulers was not just that it wasn't happening there in their temple, but it, that it was, uh, it was about baptism. And baptism was about the way you became a Jew. But John was baptizing everybody. Jews and Gentiles alike, because he was baptizing them into a new Israel. Something new, the new kingdom of God that was coming. So it was a direct challenge to the authorities. Being baptized in repentance for past sins and getting ready to meet with God. They were marking themselves out as kingdom people. And it's to these people, these people who went out to Jerus- to, from Jerusalem to the Jordan that Jesus identifies and associates himself with. Then, in verse 13, Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptised by John. Jesus identifies himself with those people. And the difference between Brexit the Brexiteers and Trump and Jesus is that Jesus really is making God's people great again. Jesus really is leading them to a true independence day. Truly free. Whatever the oppressions that prevail in their day, they would be free in God. Set free to worship God, holy and righteous in his sight all the days of their life. That was the song of Zechariah, if you remember, from the Christmas story. So Jesus is bringing in the new kingdom of God and the people are coming out to John. They're the beginnings of the new kingdom community and that kingdom community has lived down through the ages till today and we are it. We are part of that kingdom community, here, now. And Jesus, having associated himself with them, associates himself with us. He stands in line with us. Now, he doesn't just associate himself with the kingdom community. He also associates himself with their deepest need. He associates himself with their sin. Go back to verse 5. And you'll see that the uh, verse six, you'll see that the people confessing their sins were baptized by John in the River Jordan. They came out and they acknowledged their weakness and their need. And then we discover in verse thirteen that Jesus came to be baptized by John. John's message and his baptism was one of repentance. 
It was about acknowledging the hold that sin had over the people's lives. But of course, Jesus was without sin. He had power over sin. He has the power to defeat sin. But he stands, he has no need for repentance, but he he stands in the line with sinners precisely because he's not just got power to overcome sin in his life, which he did and lived it in a sinless manner, but he has power to overcome sin in everybody's life, in the whole lot of them. He stands in line with them because he's got power to overcome the consequences and the effects of the sin in their lives. So imagine after a while this populist movement out in Jordan has got a bit of momentum and it's got a bit busy over there and John has had to get his whole movement organised. So he's gone out and uh, organised his disciples and he's in the water baptising and then there's the line from him out uh, and there's some booths and they've set up booths and, and then there's more queues going to the booths of all the people flooding in and the disciples are there and the, and the people are registering their names and they're registering their sin prior to being baptised by John. So, here we are in the booth. Name, Tony. Biggest sin, liar. <laughs> Tony is a liar. There you go. Off you go and be baptised. Next, Sarah. Sin? Well, I'm a gossip. Sarah's a gossip. There we are. Off you go and be baptised. Next, Barry. Biggest sin? Cheat. Barry's a cheat. Off you go and be baptised. Next, Maureen. Maureen? I'm an adulterer. All right, okay. Put that down. Maureen, adulterer. Go and be baptised, Maureen. Next, Clive. Biggest sin, ignoring the poor. Clive ignores the poor. Next, Jesus. Biggest sin, none. Biggest sin, none. Little sin, none. Okay, Jesus, none. And then Jesus says, Tony, give me your badge. Sarah, give me your badge. Maureen, give me your badge. Barry, give me your badge. Michael, give me your badge. And then Jesus goes to John. And he says, John, baptise me. See, Jesus associates himself with your sin because he takes away the sin of the world destined for our sakes to be counted amongst sinners so that he might defeat sin in us. And so there's the power of his baptism, the sinless one who takes away the sin of the world. And that power comes to us 
if we can grasp the fact that Jesus associated himself with our sin and took upon himself our death. And so if we associate ourselves with his death, we can throw off our disposition to sin and take upon ourselves his risen life. We can begin actively not to desire to sin and actively desire to live the righteousness of the kingdom of God. We can exchange the things of death for the things of eternal life. That's what Paul was talking about. He said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, it's not easy to live the Christian life. It takes a crucifixion, a crucifixion of our disposition to sinful behaviour. And we know that that crucifixion in us is painful. We've all been through it in some way, to turn away from things that have such a grip. But as we associate ourselves with Jesus' baptism, his death into sin, his new life rising, he begins to live that new life in us and through us in a true freedom and a true greatness in the world. Association. He associates himself with the people and with their sin and we associate ourselves with him. That's what it means to be an intentional church. We are intentionally people of Christ Jesus. The second A is uh, for acceptance. And Jesus, you see, he has to uh, accept the will of God in all of this. He could have, I mean, I'm sure I would have objected to have been counted amongst sinners. He could have said that this was the one thing he didn't have to do because he was not a sinner. He's never sinned. It wasn't relevant for him. It didn't apply Dying for sinful people didn't mean he had to be treated like a sinful person. But Jesus has no such pride, does he? Verse 15 says, when when the objection comes, he says, it's proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. And the righteousness that Jesus has in mind is the righteousness that that wants to fulfill the Father's will above all things. It's to live that quality of life that's so completely in obedience with the Father. In being baptised by John, Jesus shows God's claim on him is total. It's a total consecration on Jesus' life. It's a total claim on his holiness and on his character. It's an acceptance of the Father's will and he's not above those he came to, be, to save. He's amongst them. He's not too proud to be associated with them. He's not thanking God he's not like them. He's offering hope and salvation by being one of them. This king of heaven becoming the humble servant of every sinner, accepting the will of the Father in his life. 
And Jesus accepts the will of the Father. So John also has to accept the will or the word of Jesus. So John, perhaps like the rest of us, John would have objected. He did object. He says he's unworthy for the task Jesus is asking him to do. So verse 14 tells us, John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptised by you and you come to me. See, we question Jesus. What, me? I'm not good enough. I'm not able enough. I'm not worthy enough. But in order to to fulfil the calling that John has, he has to accept what Jesus says. And to his credit, John does accept what Jesus says. Jesus says, as we've read, we do this for, uh, to fulfil all righteousness. And then in verse 15, those great words, then John consented. Then John consented. You can question Jesus all you like. You can bring your misunderstandings and your objections, but in the end you have to accept what Jesus says. John consented. Many people ask all sorts of questions of Jesus and they fail to fulfil the calling that he has on them. They miss the heights of his purpose because they don't want to hear the truth of his word, which is he wants to use you. He wants to work out his kingdom through you. He counts you worthy. He counts you one of his people. So John consented. He accepted what Jesus wanted him to do. And as I imagine it, and actually as this picture rather puts it, John lays his hand on Jesus' chest and he puts another one on his head. And he plunges him into the water. And when he did that, this is what I think, when John the Baptist did that for Jesus, John the Baptist became the most important person in all the world because he was doing God's will for Jesus. He was the one ministering the will of God to Jesus. And and it's the same for us. It's the same for us when we do something in the name of Jesus because of his word. When we do something for someone else because we know it's what Jesus wants us to do for them, we become the most important person in all the world. The most important person for the person we're doing it for because you're ministering God's will for them. The most important person for God in all the world because You're God's agent, fulfilling his kingdom works in the world. The agent through whom righteousness is fulfilled. So the power to live the fullest life and fulfill God's purpose comes when we accept Jesus' words, when we accept what he says. Then John consented and he did what he did. Then Tim Ball consented and he became the vicar of Meadgate Church. Then Nadia Takawira consented and she became a worship leader in the church. Then John Holm accepted 
And he became the technology man for Meadgate Church. Then Meadgate Church consented and they became the most important people in the neighbourhood. Then Meadgate Church consented and we received the power to do what we do. And we couldn't do it if we didn't accept it. Just as Jesus did what he did because he accepted God's will and purpose, so we accept the word of Jesus and enter into the will and purpose of God. Third word is assurance. Because this is a moment of self-humbling. It's a moment of obedience and accepting the will of God. And at that moment one receives, he receives the most profound assurance. In verse 16 and 17. As soon as Jesus was baptised, he went up out of the water. And at that moment heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove and lighting on him. And the voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love. With him. I'm well pleased. That's the core identity of Jesus. My son, in whom I am well pleased. The core rock of everything that Jesus did because he knew who he was. The spirit affirmed it to him. And that's the moment of equipping for everything. Jesus would never have got to the end if he didn't know he was God's son. He couldn't have done all that the Father sent him to do. It's foundational in the ministry of Jesus. God's son, and he knows it from the inside out. And there's such wonderful words. In him I am well pleased. When my daughter used to use the term well hard or well good, we used to have the debates in the car. You can't say that, it's not good English. Yes, it is, Jesus says. Or the father said he was well pleased. That was our justification for bad English. (laughs) But he's well pleased in Jesus. And Jesus has not done anything. He hasn't started the work of the kingdom. Nothing at all. This is the first we've heard of Jesus in Matthew's gospel since those birth stories that we had over Christmas. It's the first we've heard of him since he's come back from Egypt when Herod died. Nothing. He's done nothing. And yet the Father is pleased with him. Not just pleased, but well pleased. Yeah, we need to know that for ourselves, don't we? We need to know that the Father is pleased with us. It's, it's, I think it's the daily battle, the daily spiritual battle that every one of us fight with that we don't know that we are loved simply because we're loved by the Father. And every day we have to go back to that point and hear those words, with you I am well pleased. Not because you've done anything but because I love you. you know, we, we spend our energy and our time so often trying to make him pleased with us by praying more, by doing more, being more in some way. 
But it's the wrong way around. When we know the Father is pleased with us, then we have the power to do the things we wish we could do and wish we did more. When we know the Father's pleased with us, we discover that that power begins to flow and we hear and receive for ourselves those words, you are my beloved. You're the beloved. That's you, your core identity. That's, that's all you need to know as a Christian. You are the beloved. And the power of God to work through you flows from that. So our daily struggle our daily desire and our daily calling to affirm to one another is your beloved. Your beloved. You are the beloved. And, and it's a struggle. Many of us struggle with that truth. That's why we need prayer in this corner that it should be affirmed to us. Because there are some who say that they couldn't ever say it about themselves. There are some who in a false humility wouldn't say it about themselves. And there are some who in erroneous thinking say we shouldn't affirm it about ourselves. But we are beloved. Jesus came to fulfill all righteousness. And the truth is that we can't live out all righteousness unless we have the power of God at work in us. It's AAA power that Jesus fulfills all righteousness in us. The power of associating himself with us that we might associate ourselves with him. Accepting the will of the Father as we accept his word to us. And as the beloved of the Father, we're given that same assurance that he is well pleased in us. And when we receive that, then power flows. The AAA power for Jesus, of Jesus' baptism, is here for us all on this day.